Sorry, what did I miss? Everything. Itwit, Blubber, Oddman, Tweak! Anglothes. Gettle's gone. Well Mr. done, Russia. Not words you hear often from political commentators. <laughs> oh, I might as well just growl. That'd be about it. I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. What is up, everyone? Welcome to episode two of Anglo Fees. I'm Raiden. I'm Alina. And I'm Kaylee. And we're here to shoot the shit about an awful lot of things. We do have a full schedule today. We do. Um, so, Kaylee, is there anything you'd like to share with the class? Yes, ma'am. It's been a good week, what can I say? <laughs> Not just for the general state of the world, USA, USA. Oh, God. Um, but I got accepted into the master's course that I wanted to get into, so I'm going back to Edinburgh University next year to do theatre studies. Yay! Yay, more student debt! Yeah, two years of student ID discount. Bring it. <laughs> Which will totally offset the student debt. <laughs> right. Well, it's working out a lot more cost-effective than I'd originally thought it would, because I'm going to do it part-time instead of full-time. Mm-hmm. So, half the price. Um, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting my brain motivated again, because it is slowly dripping out of my ears since I graduated. And <laughs> Tell just, me about it. <laughs> I've become far too, you know, accustomed to daytime TV since then. So I need to get back motivated and this is a good way to go. So I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm going back to the city to check out the course and talk to the people this month. Yes, so now I just have to spend the next few months convincing everyone that theatre studies is a real thing. And it's very worthwhile and valuable to the state of the world. Thank you very much. (laughs) Well, I believe you. And Raiden, what is new in your life? I passed the Massachusetts bar exam, so I'm a lawyer. Yay, more lawyers! More lawyers, exactly what the world needs! (laughs) And I get sworn in on the 27th, and I'll apparently sign my name in the ancient and venerable book of lawyers in the state of Massachusetts. There are five billion of us. There's a book? There is a book. You sign your name in it. I shit you not. I can like just hear you going, what? (laughs) (laughs) Now that that particular stress is over with, now I you know, continue to look for a big girl job, so if anyone wants to hire an attorney, let me know. Please. <laughs> so, well, yeah. Lionel Hutz has taught us nothing else. It's the world needs lots more lawyers. Can you imagine a world without lawyers? I can't. I'd be out of a job. True. <laughs> We're very, very proud and happy for you. Thank we you. Are. Thank you. And, you know, the government is one that I would be willing to work for for the next four years. Thank God for that. I don't know. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Has Mitt Romney slinked back in shame yet? Um, well, he doesn't actually live in Massachusetts. He, Where does his, he live? Which of his 12 houses is he living in oh, right now? who knows. But <laughs> <laughs> he lost I, in every state he lives in. <laughs> exactly. All right. Maybe we shouldn't talk politics. I'm sure we've we, alienated some viewers already. <laughs> Probably. The The point is, is that Romney had his big victory party planned for Boston. There were going to be fireworks. A tea uh, party? Yeah. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> He canceled it, didn't he? Like yeah. He, oh, yeah. He canceled the fireworks. And... Um, you know, Nate Silver was right in all the things. 
Nate Silver has essentially become the sort of Jedi master of geeks everywhere. Exactly. <laughs> I'm seriously considering his like buying his book for this uh, winter. I went to buy, I literally went to buy it. Um, and I was trying to get a cheaper copy because I'm broke. And I was—I li- literally clicked on it to buy it. The next page says, "I'm sorry, the item you've ordered has just sold out." <laughs> so the fan girls have swarmed there before me. <laughs> Good for him. My my favorite web page for like the last four <laughs> days of the election was not 5:38. It was isnatesilverawitch.com, <laughs> which up until about Tuesday morning said, no, Nate Silver is not a witch. Blah, 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 math. And then Tuesday afternoon said, well, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) And then after, you know, the election was called, it was updated to probably. (laughs) He got 50 out of 50. He very may well be a witch. He got 50 out of 50, I think. According to Stewart, the only thing he actually got wrong was a North Dakota Senate race. Ah, oh, the dream has been shattered. <laughs> <laughs> John Stewart was like, you need to apologize. <laughs> Another oh. great thing that did come out of that was the hashtag drunk Nate Silver. Oh, yes. Lines such as, Nate Silver doesn't say call me, maybe. He knows exactly where and when he'll call. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. So all things considered, it's been a good week for geeks. It's been a good week for geeks. It's been a good week for geeks. Among other things, in the movies, which we can't talk about the detail because Someone. two of our correspondents have been <clears throat> amiss in seeing some of the biggest in movie headline-making recent history. I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. I'm not the one who didn't go to the movies in time for the podcast. I get to judge. <laughs> we didn't talk about seeing Cloud Atlas when we were plotting. <laughs> Your shortcomings are not my fault. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm not. <laughs> okay, so yes, Cloud Atlas opened. Cloud Atlas opened, and it was magic. To be fair to me, I should just say, to be fair to me, in Britain, we're not getting it until possibly the new year. Well, you so got fast. the Avengers and Skyfall early, so I think it balances out. I did see Avengers on opening night. Yeah. So. I have not yet seen Skyfall. I actually would have had a chance to see Cloud Atlas before the rest of the world because, of course, TIFF, uh, the Toronto International Film Film Festival, for some of our listeners who um, don't follow movies. Uh, I didn't go this year, but um, obviously a lot of Torontonians got to see it early and it got it generated buzz in, in critical circles and came out in theaters and uh, went to see it with my husband. We loved it. It's um, I haven't read the novel, which... You know, it kind of makes me feel like one of those shameful geeks who go to the movies and not read. It did make me interested to read the novel. I'm My reading list for, you know, the winter vacation has grown <laughs> exponentially at this rate. Uh, obviously, the movie is generating a lot of discussion about the fact that a very small pool of actors plays a very large pool of characters, regardless of race or gender, in all iterations of race and both iterations of gender. Um, a lot of us have thoughts about it. I'll even let Kaylee voice them, even though she hasn't seen the movie. I think I scared Kaylee off from voicing them. Okay, I haven't seen the movie. I will see the movie at some point. It's my best friend's, one of his favorite books, and it's one of those things that we have a lot of feelings on. They also filmed a significant portion of it in Edinburgh. So I'm curious to do the, oh my god, I know where that bit is. Um, (laughs) I love that. 
I admi- I hugely admire the ambition of the, ca- the the filmmakers. I love the Wachowskis and I love Tom Twicker. So and I love about half the cast. So <laughs> it's something I'll see, and I, I I do want to give them money as well because this was an independently funded hundred million dollar movie that's really tanking right now, and I feel like in this age where we keep complaining about everyone making you know rubbish sequels and franchises when something unique comes along and no one sees it, I think we're kind of hypocritical in that aspect. So. In principle, I'm going to see it, but I will give you my thoughts when I actually get back from it. But it hasn't got a release date here yet. Or it does, but it's not until, like, January 2013, I think. And for our listeners, uh, Movie Bob from Escapist Magazine has done um, a big picture vlog about the some of the controversial issues surrounding the movie, and we'll link it in the show notes. I really recommend uh, people mm, listen to it if they feel like they have thoughts about the movie as well. And, and the reviews are fascinating to go from people who yeah. think it's the most amazing piece of work ever to other ones just laughing in its face. I think it's much more interesting to generate reviews like that than 100% meh. <laughs> For right. sure. And of course, the other one is Skyfall. Right. Well, well let me say my piece. Oh, first. that's right. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, no, I haven't seen it. And of course, now Kaylee like, is guilt tripping me and my sad little wallet. Uh, also, I, I suspect that with the Academy Award Best Picture nominees being spread over 10 movies, it's possible it's going to get a Best Picture nod just Mm -hmm. based on scope and ambition. So, all right, fine, I'll go see it. The thing is about the the new new rule they brought for Best Picture is a stupid rule where it doesn't have to be 10 nominees. They do it in a sort of strange marking system so it can be anywhere between about 5 and 10. That's right. So if it has enough big support, if there's a small group of academy voters who just absolutely adore it it could get in you know the same way that extremely loud and incredibly close got in despite the fact that it's evil yeah <laughs> i i think considering some of the names attached namely tom hanks it probably has some clout yeah yeah and i think community. there's just actors in there that they like they like jim broadbent a lot because obviously everyone likes jim, jim broadbent yeah <laughs> he's amazing there were some actors in there that i felt like i didn't see in the promo so i'm not gonna spoil them for you guys that show up and i was like you're in this movie yeah it's so there is one part of the promo that made me laugh really really loud just because it features an actor doing something entirely unconventional to his style of acting i I feel like that's really cryptic but i don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen the trailer there's a six minute version of the trailer that i think everyone should watch because it's (laughs) The scope of it is just unbelievable. Oh, and do make sure you stay for the beginning of the credits because they will show you which roles every actor played, like, visually. Okay. And uh, there was, I think, only one that I missed, one that I didn't recognize. It was one of the cross-gender ones. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right, good tips. Okay, Skyfall. Skyfall! Skyfall! Oh, my God, have you ever done? Because somebody who is recording, who is not one of the two of us squeeing over the moment, <laughs> has not gone to see it, even though she had a full week more than we did. Would you like to take my British citizenship off me as well? <laughs> I I don't have that kind of power until, for another two weeks, so... <laughs> I'll give, give it time, give it time. I will see it at one point, I swear, but I just... I arranged to see it with some friends, and we just couldn't find a proper time to do it and stuff, and extenuating circumstances so sadly i haven't seen it yet but i don't have any money either so (laughs) must you mock my unemployed student shame Uh, yes yes (laughs) because you know i know this is i mean it's a james bond movie but for me it really 
is um like it was all about have you ever damn i thought he was magical and the hair was so, it was magic i loved it yeah i'm hearing rumblings about judy dench getting an oscar nomination Mm, yeah, it was kind of a glory note in terms of her character, the, this M. Um, but yeah, but, uh, Raiden and I have, have both agreed that we do have some issues that we're not going to discuss here so as to not to spoil Kaylee. Uh, the, uh, it's not... It return. It kind of. Um, I had. I. I saw one critic describe it as almost consider this an origin story for the James Bond that we kind of know and love, because obviously, um, Casino Royale was a, a new beginning altogether. But consider these three movies a trilogy that set him up to be that kind of womanizing, drinking, suave James Bond. Um, so the movie, in 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 some ways, when moving towards that, I feel. Um, has some issues because, of course, James Bond started in an era where gender issues were a lot different than they are now. Mm-hmm. So that's all I'm going to say very nebulously. <laughs> Discuss in the comments if you guys have seen it and also have thoughts on that subject. But other than that, Javier Bardem and his hair, and I loved it. <laughs> Was that also Kaylee? You know, I will amazing. see it, I swear. <laughs> But actually, yeah. on the note, if, if anyone in this film is ever going to get an acting Oscar nomination, it will be Judy Dench because the Academy loves her and because she's amazing in everything. And I kind of want her to be like my my third grandmother. See, I actually thought Javier Bardem could get a supporting actor nod out of this. Depends on the some competition. Of, yeah, it depends on some of the discussion I've seen has been saying, well, yes, he could, except that the competition for male supporting roles is going to be really tough. Mm. And the competition yeah. for female supporting roles is not as tough. Mm, fair enough. So we'll see what happens. Oh, speaking of, Kaylee reminded me when um, I th- when she said that Cloud Atlas is kind of tanking. There is another movie that didn't do that well at the box office that I thought really deserved it, and that was Dread. It was oh. it was fantastic. Uh, it was everything that movie you know how you know how when if you guys ever watch dog shows on tv like they, obviously they don't judge dogs of different breeds against each other that's impossible they judge every dog against the perfect standard of its breed so if i judge movies like that if i judge every movie against kind of its own perfect self as opposed to against each other i feel like of the movies i've seen this year dread might probably achieved that better than anything else the reviews for it have been excellent. I think a lot of people were going into it expecting generic punch up, and they were really surprised that someone actually put the time and effort into making something genuinely interesting out of it. I haven't seen that one either, but it has received rave reviews from my friends, um, particularly trustworthy individuals. If you look at the creator, he did uh, Sunshine, and I I want to say Twenty Eight Days Later. Like he's known for indie but really critically acclaimed um, sci-fi. Okay. It was Alex Garland that wrote it, wasn't it? He wrote The Beach. Possibly, I don't know the names attached that well. Um, yes, he it was it was Alex Garland. So yeah, twenty eight days later, Sunshine, Lemma, Let Me Go, and Dread are his four uh, Wikipedia filmography credits. So as you see, like he he's known for those small but critically acclaimed movies, mm-hmm. and I feel like Dread really did everything right as this kind of sci fi action movie. It was everything I could have wanted out of it. So if you guys are looking for that genre, I you know what I would go for that over Looper. Oh. Which and which I feel oh. and, and patriotic and sane because Looper opened Tiff, which now that I've seen Cloud Atlas kind of surprises me. But yeah, I feel like Looper might have been just slightly over overpraised. 
Hey, I mean, I, I really don't stop me. <laughs> I really enjoyed Looper. I mean, I'm like on the Joseph Gordon-Levitt train mm. for life at the, after the summer. Uh, like, if you haven't seen Premium Rush, you should see Premium Rush. <laughs> uh, Whatever happened to that movie? I feel like it kind of slipped by me. Um, I think it was, you know, in the theaters for two and a half weeks. Mm. I I think they made it for next to nothing, but it was it was a lot of fun, and uh, JGL in bike shorts. <laughs> he was a fantastic Bruce Willis. Like some of the mannerisms and the things he did, like the acting wasn't what let me down in Looper at all. Um, it's certainly his year. If you think about it too much, it kind of does. Yeah. Oh. To be fair, they do, like, point lampshade that in the movie. It's like, no, no, no. If we start talking about this, we start making diagrams of straws, and we're going to be here all fucking day. So. <laughs> Just I think he's one you have to keep an eye on for Oscars, because he's playing Abraham Lincoln's son in the new uh, Lincoln movie by Steven Spielberg. Yeah. So. That's right. And yeah. Academy Award winner Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It just feels right. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Step aside everyone else. Unlike... Academy Award nominee Marky Mark of the Funky Bunch. Who just took over which franchise? Hold on. Oh, God, yes. Oh, Transformers, that's right. Oh, God. Man, I hope he's Still getting not dead. It's not dead. I miss it when things ended at trilogies. <laughs> yeah. Remember those days? They were so innocent. They were so innocent, and then Disney bought Lucasfilm, and everything has gone to shit. Oh, I don't know. I think that's kind of a knee jerk. I'm going to give him a chance. We're <laughs> just going to blame Disney for everything. Yeah, let's blame Disney. Yes, pretty much. Given that they have just hired Michael Arndt to write Star Wars 7, I am much more willing to give This means that they might hire Bud Bird to direct it. That would be the best thing ever. A coworker of mine had a very good diagram as to like the three, how the three movies should go and who should direct. He had, uh, oh, what did he have? I know he had Joss Whedon for like the second. And uh, I'll I'll dig it up on Twitter and possibly link it because I thought it was kind of funny. But he d- he kind of laid out how the three movies should go from the beginning to the ensemble to the big finale. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. I know that Joss Whedon's name is getting tossed around a lot. I feel like it's far too obvious. I don't think it's right for him. I think they should go for someone. Possibly, I, I, think, I don't think Joss is going to do it. He's doing, well, I mean, he's kind of in charge of everything Marvel now, right? Like, he's the creative driving force of the entire Marvel movie franchise. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure he's got stuff to do. I still want to see his much ado about nothing. I know. When is that? Is that, state? that is the one thing I missed at TIFF this year that I regretted, and I almost got to go and didn't. <sighs> So now I can't wait till it's in theaters. Yeah, I don't know if we have a release date for that. I also desperately want the DVD of the David Tennant, mm-hmm. um, Catherine Tate, Much Ado, yeah. to be available in the U.S. And I also would like the DVD of The Hollow Crown to be available in the U.S. <clears throat> okay, now I can go back to being a smug Brit. <laughs> yes, you can. True. Yes. <laughs> yes, you can. Okay, Much Ado does not have a release date yet. Just confirm that. I, I have heard that it picked up a distributor, Tiff. Yeah. So that's why I'm... As a dist- Keep your eyes peeled, people. Yep. Mm. All right. Are we movied out? One more thing I want to mention. Ooh. The World War Z trailer has oh. been released. It looks like it shares the name with the book. The Zombies Do Parkour. I don't even know. 
<laughs> oh, fuck. Welcome back, Kaylee. Oh, that was quick. I was going to start swearing a lot more there, so everyone can hear me then? <laughs> yeah. No, no, swear a lot more. We'll use it in the intro. <laughs> yeah. We have to drag the laptop into the bathroom if it, the signal continues, because for some reason there's an excellent signal in the bathroom. <laughs> well, that's where you record, I guess. Okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, but, but speaking of swearing, you know, we could have you do that, um, the King's Speech swearing speech. <laughs> Ed Ted still plays me. I just can't believe that it's all those fucks is what got a 15 certificate in the UK. It's like, do you people listen to regular British conversation? That's relatively accurate. <laughs> Particularly up here. Yeah, I know what I heard when I was in the American film. I know that um, the Weinstein brothers tried to cut it out so it would get a PG-13. Oh no, it wouldn't have been the same film without it. I just don't know anyone who's like counting the amount of times the fuck word comes up and then thinking one two three now i'm really angry and want to hurt someone yeah i would love to know how the guideline okay but once you got past three you know think of the children (laughs) it it is kind of an interesting guideline yeah i I actually went to a um this sort of special talk that was given by a woman who works for the bbfc the british film certification board Mm -hmm. and it was just after the the second human centipede movie had been refused a rating (laughs) She was explaining that, and they showed the scene from the King's Speech, and then said, someone asked, why would you give this a 15? It's just words, and says, there are actually guidelines. It's usually more than three uses of the F word, and we have to rate it upwards, because this is what viewers want. I don't think I've ever met a viewer who actually wanted that. <laughs> oh, no, I, I, it was a, such a strange system, but it was really interesting to hear someone explain how the system worked, because mm-hmm. there was one guy who was in the audience for this chat who was clearly... You know, you're destroying art if you in any way have a movie cut to get a better rating. You're, you know, everything that is wrong of the world and freedom of expression and all of that stuff. And I just sort of wasn't as enamored with that. I just, I think swearing cuts are a bit stupid, but in terms of extreme violence, I can understand it. And nudity. And nudity, and God knows we can't actually show a woman enjoying sex. You know, one of the f- funniest bit of trivia I know about nudity in movies is that, remember that 60s uh, Romeo and Juliet movie? Mm-hmm. The girl who played Juliet wasn't allowed to see it because her breasts were in it for a few seconds. Yep. I How thought. old was she? Uh, 14? Yeah, 14 or 15. I don't know. Yeah. So there was the, her breasts were visible for it. So she, she wasn't allowed to see her own breasts in the movie. <laughs> See, that, that's how, you know, the, the road down rebellion starts. Yeah. yeah. I will say that is something that the the BBFC do a whole lot better than the MPAA. She did actually mention that she thought that they were a lot more sane than the MPAA when it came to sex. <laughs> I quite like that the MPAA is just the punching bag of everywhere else in the world. <clears throat> that's just kind of the states in general. We can be very encouraging of Americans sometimes. <laughs> Not we. We Canadians have a very specific looking down attitudes towards our pants. That's because <laughs> you're north. Come on, kill the north. joke, Radel. Go um, on. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have to kick it a couple of times. Hmm. Can we talk about the stranger? Because I badly want to talk to people about the stranger. Okay. Did you read it? I tried. Oh. I tried. I, I got about a quarter of the way through it, and it's just... I don't know if there's a problem with the translation. I think there might have been something lost in it. 
it's a strange mix of styles. I feel like it was a sort of very dry humour, which I quite liked, but it felt like it had been translated very literally at points, and it just sort of was such a slog to read at times. Yeah, yeah. I tried to get through the first... I mean, it felt like there was a whole bunch of characters, and what I really needed was a, a who's who in the back, just so I could go, <laughs> who's this guy again? Because uh, I can't get through Game of Thrones without that. Right. As an example. And then I was like, am I deficient in some way? And went looking for reviews. And there were a number of other people going, this is kind of like five pounds of plot put in an eight pound casing that's been stretched over a lot of words. And I just couldn't get into it. Aww. Sorry. That was Sorry. my <laughs> single-handedly killing my heart right now <laughs> i will say that um now the first book is actually what is it six i want to say two three it's seven uh short stories i will say that the debut the debut in echo uh has never been my favorite i like it <laughs> when he's already part of the what, what did they translate it as this the small police force whatever they translated that as um so I like it when it sort of gets into the thick of things. It's the one I probably reread the least. And I do think it gets into the weirdness a little too much, that one. Like with, mm-hmm. with a mirror making a house go insane and people ripping out their insides and him turned into a vampire out of nowhere. <laughs> okay. I don't, I'm not describing it very well because it really doesn't describe the series at all. Like I said, it's mostly dry humor with a bit of mystery sprinkled up on top. And I quite liked the humour. I liked the sort of strange mix of it being sort of like a pulp novel, but a little more traditional. And I, I liked that, but it was just, it kind of felt aimless. And there was these people being introduced, and he says, and then I did this and this, and then I made a really funny joke. And I actually quite liked the protagonist, but I just, I couldn't, I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> oh, you guys failed me. You failed. Keeping in mind, this is not my usual my usual genre. That's all, true. So. That is true. Um, I still stem, you know, you know, I probably am not the best... <sighs> I haven't read the entire translation. I've read bits of it. I didn't notice anything too egregious missing from the translation, but I'm probably not the best person to judge because then I just kind of hear what I know is there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, humor is probably one of the hardest things to translate. Yeah, is it's been kind of my impression that Russian tends to be a fairly wordy language. Am I wrong in that or am I just thinking German? You're thinking War and Peace, which is word even burst. <laughs> I'm just thinking about Tolstoy because Anna Karenina is coming to theater. Speaking of movie news, but I hate that novel. I hate that writer. Mm. We're in Russian. Isn't but... that Russian sacrilege? No. They cheat. They force him on us in school, and then everybody agrees. But the guy, but he sucks. Um. But <sighs> I feel like yeah. I guess where it can be. I never found these, but I guess when you like something, it's a page turner. It doesn't. Yeah. Feel, but I feel like wordiness is because they're written first person as if by the protagonist, and wordiness is kind of his thing, right? Like that's what he does when he's mm-hmm. upset at something or angry or confused. He just he talks until people stop noticing that he doesn't know what he's doing. Um, and these books now these books are oh I want to say mid nineties. So they're already, oh God, going on to two decades in Russia. Um, at the time they came out, nobody knew who the author was. For the longest time, nobody knew that it was a woman. 
Mm-hmm. Nobody really knew anything about it. Uh, they had uh, a a forward or preface uh, forward, I think, um, which kind of pretended that the editor met this guy who handed him the book, and it was all like very. I don't know why they were covering it up. The real author at the time, maybe. Um, not that women well, women authors don't sell badly in Russia. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe they just were building up the mystique. I will say this: that at the end of the cycle, the books wrap around to where he actually talks about why he wrote them. The main character talks about why he wrote them. So they mm-hmm. they, they do exist as books within the universe of the books. Okay. Um, for a specific for a specific uh, reason. Um, they got quite dark in the end too. Like uh, I know, I believe the third one's coming out soon in English, and I don't know if it'll be possibly eight volumes, like collections altogether. Um, and I reread them often, and I never reread some of the last ones because I feel like the author lost some of the fluffiness and the humor and just went into some really dark, um, almost upsetting, like. <sighs> stories with kind of, that explain kind of the mythos of the world but the first ones i reread all the time i love the humor um i i i mean they're doing good enough for them to continue translating them at least for a while so i guess some people just maybe the humor is enough for them mm-hmm. um you know and kudos for the author because i hope she's you know I, i'm so glad she got translated i'm glad at least some people get a chance to maybe i guess they are kind of an acquired taste Thanks you got uh, for trying them out. I still highly recommend them. Um, glad somebody else, not me, took on the the task of translating because I don't know that I could have translated a lot of the humor here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Milifaro is probably my favorite character because I love him. I love his clothes. Did you guys did you guys get as far as to notice Milifaro's clothes? And the bright, yeah. he was the young guy who dresses like in really ridiculous outfits. And looks like a Hollywood boxer. That was the description. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, um, this probably didn't encourage any of our viewers to read them. But, but do try them if you are into kind of urban humor fantasy. Um, there's According something different. to Amazon, they're they're certainly going to be translating until book four. So. Mm-hmm. And they ha- well, it's kind of hard to pin them down because uh, they are. The stories don't aren't so short further in. Like they started with seven in the first one, but then they just go from anywhere two to four per book. But they have been reshuffled between editions, mm-hmm. so I'm not sure how many are going to be. Like the English one might choose to maybe cut them down, and the ones that had four just m- maybe do them two at a time or something like that. So we'll we'll see how much they actually like how many stories into it they actually get into. I'm glad they're still doing it because that means the author's still getting some money and recognition. I think she deserves it because this was one of the most definitive modern fantasies of uh, my youthhood, teenagehood. <laughs> Mythspent youth. Yeah. Robert Aspern myth series. That was another one I loved. <laughs> yeah. I I I agree that you know if if urban fantasy is your bag, definitely give these a shot. Maybe. You, random listener, not random listener, Noel, because you're not actually random anymore. Um, <laughs> but you, random listener, if you like urban fantasy, you might totally love this. So give it a shot, definitely. I think anything that encourages non-English language genre fiction to enter the mainstream is a good thing. Mm. I agree. So yeah, well done, Russia. 
Yay, Russia! Not well done, Russia. Not words you hear often from political commentators <laughs> <laughs> nowadays, is it? <laughs> I have actually read one Russian fancy. It was Nightwatch by Sergei Lutyenko, I think. Yeah, it was. oh I yeah. Read that. Kenka, the, um... the film came out, and I bought the DVD, and I was obsessed with it. So I have to go and buy the book, of course. See, the film. The problem with the film, of course, the book has nothing to do with the film. In many ways, the funny part. But yeah, uh, I noticed that quite early on. <laughs> The the problem with the film was that the the version I don't know the version you might have gotten in Britain but I know the version that released here uh, had some really weird cuts like there were whole bits of the movie cut out which I thought made it a much worse movie so I was really um, upset when because I took my husband and like my friend to see it and it was like what happened to the movie this isn't the movie I wanted to show them it's been a while since I've seen it. Um... I believe there is a director's cut you can buy in Britain for, mm. but I'm um, by the, the entire trilogy, and I believe it's sort of the uncut version. Um, Timur Bekmirzadev is getting work out of it, like he got Wanted afterwards. The director Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Yeah, <laughs> he was a uh, um, um, music video director coming into it, I believe. And then yeah, visually it's brilliant. Yeah. It's- absolutely gorgeous um, in the um english version well the, the subtitled version as well i don't know if this was just britain if it was america the subtitles are actually part of the movie so there'll be bits where a character will knock the subtitles off screen or they'll sort of disappear and as they're wiped away and i thought that that was really well done and then on my dvd version they're just normal subtitles which is rubbish this the books are responsible for one of my favorite quotes ever and this is in, I think this is actually in the in the last book, which is actually called, which is called the Last Watch. Uh, it's it's part of a dialogue. People don't go there. What about tourists? Tourists aren't people. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, we right. can all relate to that one. <laughs> um, yeah, I so the I don't know if those books. So those books have been translated as well. Nightwatch. Yeah. yeah. Yes, there's Nightwatch, yeah. Daywatch. I think there's four of them actually. Four. Nightwatch, Daywatch, Dustwatch, and Lastwatch. Yeah, yes, I've they read... have all been translated in British. In, in, in English, I mean. <laughs> British. <laughs> British is a whole separate language from American English. I admit it. Yeah, so th- those, those are. Um... Yeah, nothing to do with the movies. So, movie, I mean, yes, to do with the movies, kind of the same universe, but the plot has really diverged. So, fans of the movie who are going to seek them out, be warned. But really good books, yeah. Yeah, I, I've read Night Watch. I think I read Day Watch. Um, I think I plowed through them when I was working at Borders, and I enjoyed them. And urban fantasy is not so much my bag, but I like them. So, you know, take that recommendation for what it's worth. <laughs> no, they are. Um, I feel like sci-fi, like out of genre fiction in Russia, sci-fi and fantasy is probably the be- like something Russia does really, really well. Um, so not all of it, like a lot of it's not getting translated, but among genre fiction, those are the genres I would really love to see get more translations because um, especially in the classics, like the Strugatsky brothers, um, which I, some of theirs have been translated, I believe, because they're one of the biggest names um, in the genre. So that's something like, sci- but when it comes to sci-fi and fantasy, Russia can do that extremely well. Right. See, Russian literature, way more than Tolstoy and fucking Dostoevsky. 
that was really what was missing from Anna Karen, and it was just <laughs> a shitload of vampires. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I, I'm actually I, I'm surprised someone hasn't done that cross. Try to judge Anna Karen. Zombies yet? <laughs> well, um, are you planning to see the movie? Because that seems like it's kind of right up your alley with a the theater conceit. I, I had planned to see, and it came out while I was at the internship. So this was where a town they had one cinema that showed one film a week. So didn't get a chance to see it my friend my, my best friend he absolutely adored it um he comes as someone who despises kira knightley mm. and he came over saying oh wow she's actually really good and visually it's beautiful and he just did the little seal clap of joy so see i despise the book so i, I haven't read the book i'm a bad english list i i haven't read the book either i i, I read crime and punishment twice, <laughs> and i feel like i'm good there <laughs> <laughs> I own the Master um, Margarita. I think that's the big Russian classic. Oh, God. Oh, that is the best. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's also Daniel Radcliffe's favorite novel. Is it? I love yeah. him more now than I ever have. Uh, oh. The man just elevates every single day to the top of my perfect man list. He really does. Okay, I know this is kind of going outside the outline, but I'm just going to do a quick rundown for you. So The Master and Margarita, written in the 30s, published a censored version in the 60s, and the uncensored wasn't published until I think the 90s after Perestroika. Because, so this was a politically subversive book, but it's kind of an urban fantasy. Satan comes to Moscow to hold a ball. And everybody's lives implode. And there is a cat with a gun. (laughs) Behemoth the cat, yeah. So um, it's, I don't know what you call it, an allegory? or, But it's written with a lot of humor. But behind the humor, there hides like a real, you know, social commentary on the absurdity of communist Russia in the 30s. (laughs) You know, like the, the fish today is second freshness. Fish is either fish, fresh or not fresh. What do you mean? You remember that bit in the end? Like that—that's kind of exemplary of it. But Margarita, being uh, kind of the main character, a beautiful woman in an unhappy marriage, who uh, has been chosen to host the ball, and she does it because she wants to reunite with her lover, who's uh, known only as the master, who wrote a novel about the judgment of Jesus Christ from the point of view of Pontius Pilate. And that novel is also kind of present as a novel within a novel, weaving in and out of the story. Um, yeah, that has also been translated into English uh, for a while, a while ago now. And it's one of my favorite Russian books. Uh, highly recommend it. Okay. And I bet Keely does too. Do you have a translation that you prefer over the others, Keely? Um, I'm seeing there's a couple several of... available. I haven't. I wouldn't say that there's because I haven't read every single translation. There's also mm. a pretty good graphic novel you can get by. I can't remember who did do, who did that one. Um, but it's been translated several times by. I think Penguin's done a really good one. That's the one I own is Penguin. Okay. So. Uh, it reads beautifully, um, and I believe it's actually one of the inspirations for the song "Sympathy for the Devil" by Rolling Stones. So if that isn't reason enough to read it, I don't know what is. <laughs> All right. There's also a film or mini miniseries. Uh, maybe 10 years old, maybe a little bit older now. I don't know if that's been subtitled, but um, if you guys are interested, you can look for it. I, I didn't. I, I obviously saw it in Russian. It, it wasn't bad. Well, there was rumors years and years ago that Andrew Lloyd Webber wanted to make a musical of it, and then he oh, said God. it was untranslatable. So we'd like to thank the world <laughs> for making sure <laughs> oh, Can you imagine what he would do with a ball? Oh, my God. 
<laughs> subtlety? What subtlety? Oh. I mean, it's not a subtle book. I mean, it is very chaotic and a bit of a slapstick in places as well. But oh. it's, it manages to work those mix of genres really well. Andrew Lloyd Webber couldn't direct traffic. <laughs> <laughs> I actually got into an argument with someone who was going on about how wonderful Phantom of the Opera was, and I was just like, no. Just, no, he's, he's done one good musical, people. One. Can you... Oh, God. That... Which, which one? Evita. Uh. And even then, that's massively problematic, because it is essentially saying, hey, fascism, what fascism? <laughs> oh, Kaylee, I just had this horrible flash as behemoth as the cat from Cats. <laughs> oh, my God, that's horrific. <laughs> <laughs> speaking in sort of oh my god oh oh brain brain but he would be the satanic cat from Master Margarita <laughs> yeah okay oh, oh okay <laughs> I, I think that'd be confusing but thank you for bringing that up oh you just made my day it's always good to sort of strike fear into the hearts of people with that one <sighs> and I think satanic cats make a pretty good segue into the fan fiction I can't wait to hear your mind map on this one. I'm not even gonna try. Okay. (laughs) In in the world of fanfic for hire. Oh my god. So we talked last episode about the One Direction fanfic, and apparently, who bought it? Some publishing house bought was it. it Peng- and it's- was it Penguin or Simon, Simon and Schuster? I think it's Penguin. I think it's Penguin. Because Simon and Schuster are buying up a lot of this stuff it, right it's now. It's Penguin. Random Penguin. Oh, missed opportunity. Random, yeah, random <laughs> Penguin. <laughs> the big six have now become the big five. This is not. Uh, this is the beginning of a trend. Believe me, it's mm. not going to get any better after this. Right. So yes, what it's, orig- it's now become the new normal for fan fiction to get deals. People, the publishers are openly admitting that they're browsing these sites looking for this stuff. Yeah, that really, really freaks me out. What I don't like, I'm kind of surprised that, considering that everybody does get it for free, they'd still spend money on it. I, that's the thing that confuses me about Fifty Shades. It's not just that we're paying for porn right. again, but we're paying for bad porn that you could get for free. I know, it just it, I'm disappointed. You can get but, um, porn for free. <laughs> That's I think there's just recently, it was either yesterday or the day before, a reimagined version of The Office as a Twilight fan fiction called mm-hmm. Beautiful Bastard is going to be published by Simon & Schuster in February 2013, and apparently it fetched something like six figures at auction. I'm so mm-hmm. not at work. I'm just trying, I'm just imagining like Robert Pattinson now as Steve Carell. <laughs> oh. oh my god, that actually works. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Was it one of you guys that showed me the the uh, the parkour clip where they're jumping around the office, pretending that they can do parkour? Was that you guys? That wasn't me. It wasn't me. Oh right, because that's all I can now see is him doing like vampire leaps across the desk. And <laughs> link it in the show notes. I will. I will look for it and link it in the show notes because. <laughs> It's a, it's a small glimmer of hope in this cluster fruitcake that has become the publishing industry of the 21st century. Yeah. Uh, Interestingly like, enough, well, all of these pilled published fan fictions, apart from one that I can name, which I will not discuss because it is so awful, they're, they're all written by women. Well, some of it I kind of don't get. Like they said, like it's a One Direction fanfic. Um, 
But of course, they, they're going to have to change the names of the band and some of the details because they can't actually write about real people. At which point, so it's a romance novel in which the hero is a band member. What does it have to do with One Direction? Well, it's a pretty generic plot from what I understand. It's basically girl meets band, band all fall over themselves for this girl. It's the it's the One Direction fangirl sort of id. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's easily marketable. I mean, I, I can understand the purchase behind it, even though I think it's heinous. It's just... Like, it's, it's some of it's weird... Like, if you think, even looking at Fifty Shades, like, I understand AU uh, fanfic, which is, uh, for those who don't read fanfic, is alternate universe. Um, when, and I, like, you see a lot of it in, like, fanfiction.net. And really, depending on the quality of the writing, a lot of the times the characters are so different that it's not, doesn't even really have anything to do with the original material. But I think people flock to it because it's kind of like, well, if you loved that, read this but when it comes to actually publishing books like really 50 shades like so there's no vampires so it's just another alpha male submissive female story there's a dime a dozen of those yeah. that's the thing if you really like that then you will read everything of that and as we've seen of nothing from this 50 shades bandwagon is shelves that are full of these you know dark covers of masks or gloves or whatever on them that all have the the douchey alpha male billionaire 25 year old but they've had like that's harlequin presents their entire the harlequin's entire presents line is about um douchebag alphas and virgins that is in fact the entire harlequin presents line people who want those books they know they can buy harlequin presents they will get that 50 shades rode in on this kind of Twilight coattail marketing, but really has nothing to do with Twilight. Yeah, and I, I have so many thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> this is what it does to the brain. This is exactly yeah, what it does. pretty much. And I part of what Fifty Shades did, I think, is it kind of brought into not necessarily the mainstream, but into the spotlight the fact that. Women read erotica. Mm-hmm. Women enjoy erotica. I think there were a lot of women who were vaguely intrigued by the thought of erotica, but never actually read it because they just thought that that kind of thing isn't done. And now suddenly it's done and we're all talking about it and it's kind of okay. But has it really? I mean, it's not like Harlequin's business has been suffering before Fifty Shades. Well, that's the thing is when the whole ebook thing started, it was the romance industry. Right, that benefited. They, they, yeah, they yeah. embraced it a lot more than the traditional publishers did, which is why they continue to make profits over other people. And exactly. Other mm. um, do you think it's brought into the mainstream? I mean, it has, but I think it's also something of a punchline. And as much as I really dislike Fifty Shades, I don't like the way that it's become this, oh, wow, middle-aged housewives have sex. Of course uh, they did. Yeah. Maybe they had the kids. Fuck you. Yeah. Fuck you. And, of course, then there's also the, well, women are interested in this, and that means that it's less valuable than whatever bullshit Cormac McCarthy and Nicholas Sparks have vomited up this week. Which is interesting, given that women readers spend a lot more money than male readers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, of course, what women readers find interesting and important is considered to be less than. 
And well, I, this is the same argument about literary fiction and can a woman write a masterpiece? Of course she can. But, yeah. you know, when you see the stuff that's considered, the you know, the pantheon of 20th century literary fiction, it's people like John Updike who write about, you know, paunchy, middle-aged, middle-class American guys having sex with really gorgeous women half their age. And no one bats an eyelid at that. But the mm. moment that a woman starts writing it, I think there is a sort of pearl-clutching panic. Yeah. Well, remember how... Uh, Joanne Rowling is J.K. Rowling because they thought boys wouldn't buy books by a woman writer. Right? Exactly. And and I I kind of think we should do a show about the Princess Bride. Yes. Yes. Uh, but I mean, even within the the conceit of the Princess Bride of William Goldman took this gigantic masterwork and cut out the boring parts. When he talks about in the text what the boring parts were that he cut out, and I really hope you guys can hear my air quotes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A lot of the, the boring things were like Buttercup's princess training and how she went from farm girl to princess and the packing and the hats and the things that women the things that the female characters do are the stuff that is considered boring and not the good parts and let's just cut that shit out so we can get on to Anigo and 20 pages about him training how to fight and that's what's important and it drives me fucking crazy it's very true as much as I will defend that because it's actually my favorite book of all time um and there are so much times where i just start squealing go but it's satire when i want to defend it which is the worst defense because i hate it when people do that yeah um but it's very true where i think that's the literary establishment they are more much more forgiving of male writers mm-hmm. um and they're still snippy when it comes to genre fiction even though genre fiction is what's keeping the industry alive mm-hmm. it's so as in- much as i despise the 50 shades trend mainly just because it's so awfully written if it gets more people to read some, you know, get out there and check out what's available for romance and erotica, I'm all for it because right. you shouldn't be embarrassed by that. I mean, go read some fan fiction, ladies. It's ace. You can find some awesome stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting that movies, like genre movies, are starting to get more critical acclaim now. Male headed uh, genre movies. True, but. True. Um. But I think it's at least it's going kind of in that right direction because the reality of the way the world works is in order to get the genre fiction to get legitimacy, you kind of have to go with the, okay, Peter Jackson made made The Lord of the Rings and that got a lot of critical acclaim and it's got more legitimacy and now we can start working the women into it. And whether that's going to happen, I don't know. Um, or when that's going to happen, I don't know. It will happen. It will happen, damn it. Well, it was interesting that they were going to let Patty Jenkins direct the sequel to Four, which made her the first woman to ever direct a major studio superhero movie. And then I believe she dropped out or was fired and replaced by one of the Game of Thrones guys. Mm. Um, there's nothing that says that a woman wouldn't be able to direct something like this. Anyone who's seen a Catherine Bigelow movie knows women can do action just as well. well you, still what up. about Twilight? She made them well, a blockbuster. Yeah, she, she, she made them a blockbuster movie and then got replaced by men. To do yeah. sequels once it became this huge phenomenon, right? Yeah. She also, um, if you've ever seen the documentary Misrepresentation, which talks about lack of representation of women in the media, she talks about how 
nobody would let her direct a movie because women weren't profitable. She made 13, which was an indie hit. She made Twilight, which regardless of what you think of the movie, it proved that women will go to see a movie in their droves mm-hmm. and that they will pay for the merchandise and that they will be dedicated to this. And then they decided to let men direct it and they wouldn't let her even audition to direct the movie The Fighter because they said they wanted a man to direct it. Oh, come on. But no one questions when a man directs the Sex and the City movies or the Hannah Montana movie or about 90% of romantic comedies. Mm-hmm. Right. And like the... We've had one female director win the Best Director Oscar for directing a male-centered movie. Mm-hmm. I feel like Catherine Bigelow yeah. is in that sort of catch-22 situation. I mean, she is explicitly not a feminine director, and she's criticized right. for that. But if she was directing something in the way that Nora Ephron did, she would be massively criticized for that as well. I yeah. mean, her new movie is about the Marines' operation to kill Osama bin Laden. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's still people saying, oh, but she's such a male-centered director. And it's like, well, she was trained right. by James Cameron. Of it's also did. not her fault that there wasn't, you know, a female Marine leading the charge in real right. history, right? Like, it's yeah. just, if she's reflecting the world back at you, then maybe you should change the world. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not criticizing Catherine Bigelow. Mm-hmm. I think she's awesome. And I'm kind of criticizing the culture mm-hmm. around that. And yeah, are there any big films coming out in next year or so directed by women? I'm trying to think because I knew there was a couple I had in my mind. I wish I paid more attention to directors so I could answer that. But um, I know Jane Campion is doing a TV series. She's brilliant. Mm. I love her. So Mm. keeping but they tend to stick more to the indie circuit. You're not really seeing them heading up these big projects. So before we move too far off, I do want to pull back to that um, what we originally started talking about fan fiction because we did read an article that was specifically about well, two th- like real person slash um, and women writing gay real person slash. <laughs> um, but what? <laughs> See, real person slash is kind of icky. Like to me, yes. I feel kind of. Well, <laughs> very. Icky. I think it's very icky. It's very icky. Um, it's. <sighs> You can't stop fan fiction. It's kind of, and I suppose if anything, it's just better. That it it emphasizes very clearly. It emphasizes very clearly that something like um, a, a band is is re- it's not actually real people. They're a manufactured image. See, that's why I don't mind RPF because it's not the real person. It is just sort of the writer's construct of that person. As long as you're not waving it in the. Um, in that person's face. I mean, that's a line you shouldn't be crossing. Mm-hmm. So I don't really mind it so much. I mean, there's some really disturbing stuff out there, but that's just personal preference. I, I do think it's an easier line to cross because, um, you know, even with, just because we mentioned Twilight, because I remember that Robert Pattinson having to scream, I'm not Edward at the fangirls. Mm-hmm. But when you have real person slash, like, you know, the One Direction guys, like whatever their names are, they can't go like, I'm not X. Well, he is. It's just that he's also a private person, but he's not. <laughs> But I feel like, you know, considering that they actually, the, the fanfic they published is a real person fanfic. I mean, no, no they're not going to use the names or anything else, but like, oh, there's something quite disturbing about it that maybe I can't pinpoint very eloquently. I think it's really disturbing as well, particularly given that One Direction have actually been an example where they have come out publicly and said, you need to stop it with the rumors and conspiracy theories about us. It's hurtful, it's damaging, and it makes you all look psychotic. You, you know which... They're, you know, they're the, I mean, it's a teenage fangirl thing, I get that, but the people who genuinely believe that two of the members in that band are in a sort of secret gay relationship that the record companies are trying to keep hidden, and they both have girlfriends, I think... The once again, it's a lane you have to learn when you're young and on the internet and things. But especially if, if this is the start of something where 
the, the publicly, I mean, this got major news coverage. I read it on the Independence website that we've bought this 16-year-old girl's fan fiction, and, and nobody really thinks that's not, you don't think that's quite exploitative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I really think that's a problem. I mean, getting it from getting the stuff like the Twilight pool to publish fan fiction, I think, is one big problem. I've heard people argue relatively successfully against, you know, for it being okay and how it isn't breaking copyright or laws or anything like that. But in terms of ethics for real person fan fiction, even if you change the names and stuff, but you're proud to publicize it as being based on these people. Yeah, that seems to me problematic because if you are writing like news articles specifically linking the book to the real people, can't a lawyer, Raiden, um, <laughs> can't yeah. a lawyer build a case for defamation or libel? Uh, I don't know. Because <laughs> uh, for one thing, everything I learned about defamation and libel, I needed to learn for the bar exam. And then I kind of vomited all of that out onto the bar exam and it's no longer in my head. Oh, I understand that. <laughs> but in terms of the British libel laws, I think they could possibly make a case. I'm not an expert, so don't quote me on that. But I know that we have pretty strong libel laws, particularly in terms of press and literary coverage. There's a lot of sort of tell-all biographies of stars that couldn't get published in Britain because, you know, because of libel laws. Mm-hmm. Like the Andrew Morton one on Tom Cruise, where he basically went on about how he was like a gay alien lover, couldn't get published in UK. So... Truth is I mean, that was like, a different situation because that was a biography and this is now... Uh, okay, here's a question. Is this really any different than Law, Law and Order Ripped from the Headlines episodes? Like when two months after the If I Did It kerfuffle with the O.J. Simpson book, they have an episode in which uh, an editor is murdered after publishing a book by an alleged murderer that everybody knows did it, you know... And then after the episodes, you have a disclaimer, no real person, you know, the, the characters in this episode were purely fictional. Is that any different than publishing this fan, you know, One Direction fan fiction with all the names and details changed? That's a good point. Has there ever been any sort of public controversy? Has anyone ever come out and said, you can't air this episode, it's based on my life or it's based on my client's life? Has that ever happened? You know, rescue. you. <laughs> like, but I mean, they've done it for years. So if there have been cases, they must have successfully defended themselves in court, right? Yeah. So, yeah, the ripped from the headlines, let's see. Okay, according to Wikipedia, a lawyer, Riva Batra, sued the show for libel in 2004 um, at the time of airing. So it doesn't say how it ended, but I guess there has been at least one attempt to sue them. But really, to me, in essence, it's not actually too different from the whole real person fanfic being published. The rip from the headlines TV. So maybe, in some ways, we our pop culture already has like a very specific precedent that allows them to do this with a clear conscience. Nothing would surprise me. I think we have entered the sort of post-epic era of um. Well, if we were ever in a pre-epic era of mm-hmm. entertainment, I think the one the reasons that it's particularly um personal in relation to stuff like this one direction fan fiction is it is directly coming from fandom mm-hmm. and a lot of people who are in fandom are thinking what does this mean for us if you're going to use fanfiction.net as a sort of a pool a talent pool for original fiction 
at what point does that become a problem for us? At what point is someone going to step in and offer a cease and desist on mm-hmm. fanfiction.net or on a fan site? Because mm-hmm. you know, writers have done that for fanfiction already, and that's not that was not even being published professionally. Right, and fi- I mean, fanfiction.net is, as far as I know, has always said that they will comply with any uh, creator request. Well, there is on their um, their opening page. You know, there there are the offers who have we've cooperated with, and we will not publish fan fiction for them. And it's like George R. R. Martin and Anne Rice and Laurel Hamilton. Yeah. So they've been very good on that front. Well, Laurel so. Hamilton is one of those. Interesting. Yeah, given what she's into. Somebody um, might write better sex than I can. Oh, I'm glad you said it, so I didn't have to. <laughs> I've only read. I read scenes. I just have. To, I just stupid side note. My favorite ever review of a book was one on Goodreads for the the most recent. Anita Blake book and it said that Anita Blake has the MacGyver of vagina <laughs> <laughs> and that's probably my favourite thing ever to review um, yeah I think we're going to have if we have an episode where we talk about urban fantasy and stuff can we please talk about her because I have so many things to say <laughs> yes yes. I might even drag out my old book <laughs> I may still have my Anita Blake somewhere I think I lasted I first, about 10 I have the Mary Gentry books as well yeah I have the first one <laughs> man those were that was a lot of book that was a lot of elaborate setup just to say she's gonna have sex with all of these people for her country i'm amazed that she's not selling better in this sort of 50 shades era because her figure her sales figures have dropped significantly there was actually rumors that she was going to be dropped by her publisher oh i i suspect i mean she's been writing anita blake for how long like ten years? Oh, way more. Oh, longer than way ten. Way. I, mean, I, I think she's, she's nearing twenty years. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're looking at saturation. Uh, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Oversaturation and just boredom with her at this point. <laughs> it's Does funny. actually happen in the later books, or is it just hmm? Someone has been murdered. Let's have sex for three hundred pages and complain about it. Sounds about right. <laughs> Hey, remember when in book one she was piously Christian and didn't have any sex? <laughs> and she like did things and she had friends that were female and weren't bitches. And, and now Wikipedia page is like, spouse is. And there's like a <laughs> list of 12, 12 people. <laughs> well, oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm t- I just, sorry, I just went there because I was trying to find uh, the publication of the f- 1993 Guilty Pleasures came out. So 20 years next year. Wow. But I think I think Anita Blake, if anything, I guess it was before its time, right? Like if she started, well, she really was one of the births of the sort of urban fantasy, paranormal romance mm-hmm. genre. I mean, with you know, without her, there's probably no Charlene Harris, which would mean there would be no True Blood, which would be no Alexander Skarsgård naked and covered in blood. So, so thank you, so thank you, Laurel thank Kane. you for that one. <laughs> I'm only watching that show for him and Dennis O'Hare. Well, yeah, I watched season one watch season two is season two the one that ended with her going into fairyland i thought that was three it's free says who's only watched season one i I follow dino on twitter that's where i get my true blood news all right so i've seen three seasons and now i understand that tara's a vampire or something yep okay good for her (laughs) <laughs> season five, Christopher Maloney's in like five or six episodes. Entirely wasted, but it's Christopher Maloney. All right, I'll think about it. Is he naked? No, that's the thing. Not once is he naked in that series. 
wasted. You'd think if they were any serious, which could bring back naked Christopher Maloney. It would be true blood. HBO, you should be you should have Christopher Maloney naked all the time. <laughs> if we ever do a TV episode, I will talk about Oz because Oh, we're gonna do a TV episode. We also need to do Arrow. Oh my god, Arrow. Because <laughs> we're actually getting it quite oh. quite quickly after American uh, TV era. So. Oh my god, Arrow. Stephen Anell and his abs. Contractually obligated to take off his shirt every episode. Yay! <laughs> it's a good thing everybody else can like carry the acting and emotional part of that show. But he just needs to take off his shirt. And really, that works for me. <laughs> I, I actually think he's... That's not that bad. I think he's doing a fairly nuanced job. You know what? It's not. He's actually good. It's a particular subplot, the romantic subplot that I think is dragging the show it's down. Not other than that, working so well. Although we'll save this for a later episode. Yes, we we will not sidetrack because we were doing so well, staying on track towards the Kaylee's new adult rant. Yes. <laughs> Keely, I have pointed you in the direction of the rant. I'm all for non-linear narrative, particularly in podcasting. Um, so one of the things that's come out of this sort of post-Fifty Shades era is a strange sort of new age category for fiction, which is referred to as new adult. And it's supposed to be sort of college age, I believe, is what they're really going for. I understand the need for one. I think that theoretically it'd be an interesting idea particularly if you want something that is a little more adult, maybe a little more sexual. Um, in practice, I think it has failed because most of the books I am seeing listed as new adult are either self-published or previously pu- pulled to publish, or I at least suspect that they're pulled to publish. It's quite easy to tell. Um, and it's a lot of the douchey alpha male who is five seconds away from slapping the crap out of the meek virginal heroine but they love each other because she can change him because this is a 1980s country song (laughs) and it's basically if you've followed me online at all or you read the book lantern or follow me on goodreads you will know that there is a book called beautiful disaster by (sighs) jimmy mcguire that had i been reading a copy of the book and not reading it on my kindle i would have smashed it through the wall to next door Basically, there's a book, it's about the prim, proper, cardigan-wearing Abby, I think is her name, who meets the cage-fighting ace student bad boy with tattoos called Travis, who is a man-whore, never just a whore, a man-whore, who sleeps with a lot of desperate, slutty women who throw themselves at them because they have no respect for it themselves, you know, because they're all just, they have sex, so they're clearly STD-ridden sluts because that's what women are like that have sex in these books. Except for the heroine, of course, because she's special. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he makes a stupid bet with Abby, and I can't remember why, because I really don't care, where she has to spend a month in his house sleeping in his bed next to him. And, of course, they fall in love passionately, and he's utterly obsessed with her in a really dangerous manner, to the point where, after they do have sex, and she leaves for some reason, he smashes up his house. Mm-hmm. Because Lovely. he's so mad, and he can't live without her! She's got control of him! You don't know what she does! And her nickname, by the way, is Pigeon. It's never explained. He calls her Pigeon. And I find this really insulting. She's not a fucking vim- feminist bird. She is a woman, and you treat her like crap. He buys her a dog so that she will not, you know, she'll be like guilt tripping into staying with him longer. <sighs> Even for she has, and then she occasionally does stand up to him. He literally carries her back into his house. He almost hits her in the face at one point because he's trying to get some douchey guy away from her. 
And so you hit her. Like so you that, hit her. Perfect logic. Okay. You know, and, and, and entirely throughout this book, it's just this attitude of he's damaged, and it's okay if we acknowledge that he's damaged because that's hot, and she can change him, even though she doesn't. He's still a violent jerk by the end of this book, except now they're married, and she's got a Mrs. Maddox tattoo because I think that's his surname. And this book, this book genuinely sickened me. Like, I missed the day when Twilight was the most sexist thing I'd ever read. I, I just came up did. with a brilliant idea. The Kindle, Amazon needs to code into a Kindle a button or like a fun- touch button that says burn book. <laughs> and, you oh, that's- it, and you get to watch the file burn. <laughs> yeah. I and the, the worst thing is that. now this book got a six figure publishing deal. You can buy it in shops now. Aren't there? Because that's that awesome. Was, uh, because women are just that deserve that level of treatment. And I am genuinely really angry about this book because it's part of a pattern and it's part of the thing you see with Fifty Shades, which is he can treat her like dirt because that's the alpha male bad boy thing to do. The things that we let male characters in fiction get away with because they're bad boys, particularly when the stuff is aimed at teenagers, is insulting. There was actually some controversy for Beautiful Disaster because she said, oh, it's not young adult, but she was happy to have it publicized as young Mm -hmm. adult shelved as young adult and then when it was up for a goodreads award for young adult fiction she was happy to you know push everyone to vote for it as young adult see now i am actually as a consumer of romantic fiction i like the new adult classification because i i liked reading books about that age group um so when i go on blogs like Dear Author or Smart Smart Bitches Trashy Books, you know, it would have been nice to have books in that category. Now, like, as you said, like, it kind of fails sometimes because of the kind of books that get pushed into it. And I really feel like, like, it's, it really sucks when bad books ruin their entire category for good ones, because books like Pushing the Limit, which does have these older teen characters, and they're both kind of damaged, and yet they manage not to abuse each other. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. Like their relationship is not abusive, despite the fact that they have very intense feelings. Um, and I think that's part of the part of the reason I will admit to liking uh, this particular category is that I do enjoy some reading a romance where the feelings are intense and that ki- the kind of intensity that really mo- only makes sense in teenagers because if the characters are tw- in their twenties or thirties, you go, "You're a fucking adult. Deal with it." Um, so with younger characters, when they're well written the book can give you the kind of emotional high without making you feel dirty because the guy's actually abusive. It's just such a pity that there aren't enough well-written books like that, or at least that the badly written seem to be the vocal, the ones that are being talked about. It's very frustrating for a reader who wants, who doesn't want to read the trash and is really trying to find um, the, the good, the, separate the wheat from the chaff. Yeah. It's also really frustrating as a reader to have to put up with people constantly telling you things like, it's just a book, or it's just for teenagers, or my favourite one is, if you don't like it, why did you read it? And it's like, well, I'm not psychic, I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know I was going to hate it when I read it. Yes. Oh, and I'd also like to state that there's going to be a new beautiful disaster book told from the point of view of Travis, because that's not like anything we've ever heard going to happen before Midnight Sun, cough, cough, I Maybe hate somebody this. will leak it and she won't publish it. Oh, please Do. do. There's also the fact that the author hates me, but then again, a significant portion of authors do hate me. So <laughs> I, that must mean you're doing something right. Also, welcome, <laughs> I keep you know, can you imagine? You know, 20 years ago, none of them would have known that you exist, yeah. and now they actually know to hate you. Welcome to the internet. I do like feeling like the mature one in comparison. I will say that. <laughs> yeah. But um, 
this is it's not just this book there's there's other ones that come out um the sort of post 50 shades one a lot of them um, a lot of them you can see a lot of it on amazon as well and i just if, if that's your thing i, I kind of get that but the fact is this is what mainstream sort of fiction is currently made of it was what happened post twilight you saw a lot of these paranormal young adult novels that had the same sort of romantic dynamic and it was very hard to find an alternative to that that was at least in some way vaguely healthy Mm-hmm. And the way that people would sort of excuse it by saying, oh, it's just for teenagers, really, really pissed me off. That's actually kind of the opposite of an excuse. You need to give teenagers healthy relationship models. Well, I'm right. actually arguing How that point because I'm writing an learn? article right now on that. I'm doing a, a series of posts on the attitudes towards sex in mainstream young adult novels. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm right now the piece I'm writing is why you should, why we should be writing this stuff for teenagers, particularly in the sort of like age of information where it's really hard to get decent sex education I'm not saying that you should be getting all your sex education from a young adult novel, but if you at least make an attempt to present this, then, you know, Mm -hmm. just a sec, my mum's calling for me. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) Okay, just a sec! (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) It's my dinner. (laughs) (laughs) This is the perils of living at home. We should probably wrap. Like we're almost at an hour, about an hour and a half. So like five more minutes, and then we'll let's come back into the the, so we can cut this out. Unless you want to leave Kaylee's mom in, because that's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) I want to give my mother credit because when the whole Fifty Shades thing came really big, we were in a bookshop. She picked it up, read about three pages, and went, "Oh, that's shite." (laughs) Awesome. Because my auntie read it and she said, "Oh, it's not the sex I like; it's the story, which is almost worse because the story is like no, the story is crap." I will have, like, one point that I've, even before the Fifty Shades, when I was, as a teen, a big consumer of fan fiction, it's always bothered me, is um, I always felt like when you have young girls coming to fan fiction, and that's a lot of the time their first experience, like, with sexual information about sex, the amount of myth about sex and the female body that's in there, and I don't know, maybe when they publish it, they take it out, although I doubt it, you know, the, the, the impenetrable hymen. Yeah, <laughs> that you can't get pregnant your first time. Um, the confusion between the vagina, the vulva, and the cervix. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, um, but there was an interesting article in uh, the Toronto Star recently that apparently there's been a study conducted about taking uh, sexual education out of schools and putting it and making it an online course instead. And apparently, it led to uh, a rise in safe sex in, in use of condoms and a decrease in STDs in the group because in this more anonymous private um, environment, the kids retained information better and I guess felt safer asking questions that were really personalized. So the internet is going to be, the internet is going to be there as part of sex education and these books that are about sex and teens having sex, even though it's fiction and they're not responsible for educating kids, they are. Yeah, that if you can find a link for that somehow. Yes, I'll, I will link the article in the show notes. It's one of the other interesting things that came out of the Twilight era was what I refer to as abstinence porn. Where it's <laughs> yeah. sort of, I mean, it's the Mean Girls pathos, you know, don't have sex because you'll get pregnant and die. Um, but it's sort of idea that they tiptoe around sex because sex is sort of the ultimate thing that they have to attain, but not until they've you know got married. Yeah. It was one of the things I was noticing when I was reading a lot of this young adult stuff, particularly when I originally started reviewing the Sparkle Project, which is two years, two and a half years ago now, actually. Um, there, it was a lot of sort of 
the he- the hero the heroine's a virgin the bad boy's probably had a lot of sex but he's you know waited until now to meet this perfect woman and then every other woman who has sex is a slut mm-hmm. and i feel like i don't know if this is a generational thing like the women who are writing these books if it's part of their era or if they just have issues they need to resolve or is just because it's a it's a very lazy kind of writing you know it's easy to jump to the female antagonist why is she the antagonist because she's a slut, she's a slut. Mm-hmm. i i think that there was uh, a book that i reviewed for smart bitches which was a request and i'm still angry at the person who requested it um <laughs> called purity's passion which was like oh, the, i think i remember the that <laughs> of rape porn uh and the heroine the heroine had a lot of sex but most of it wasn't consensual um but every other woman who had sex died as a result of the sex if she wasn't the the bad girl who died of the sif um it was someone who was raped and then was discovered to not be a virgin when she was contracted to marry somebody and she went and killed herself. And that was the fate of... Seriously, this book was still scarred. (laughs) And the worst part is there are two more books in the trilogy. Oh, jeez. Which I have managed to resist reading for two years almost two years now i think i'm gonna i think i'm gonna make it and not read them even though my completest ocd is like no you have to you have to find out how really awful this shit can get and i'm like "Mm." no you're gonna i have a pretty good idea of how awful this shit can get (laughs) no that's what i'm like right now the final hush hush book came out it's called finale and i've read the first three even before i said i wouldn't and i was just like i have to know how bad it gets i have to know if because I've read what happens to the female antagonist who's the one that's constantly referred to as a slut at one point she's referred to as a pig because she's a slut and I, I have to know what happens to her because a spoiler alert apparently she is killed off oh shocker it's hush- apparently she's killed off and no one turns up at her funeral and she's really unpopular and I just I was seething because that's horrific I mean that's that's an age old sort of com- you know connection to make and, and to do it in this sort of novel for teens where everyone goes on about how hot and sexy it is and for its romanticized rape abuse, uh, uh, rape culture, I mean. And I just, uh, see, I can't even form words anymore, and I'm usually good at that. Yeah. Is Hush Hush the angel one? Yes. Okay. The one where the guy holds her against the bed when she's half naked, tells her how he's been planning to kill her, and he's the romantic hero. Awesome. Hot. Classy. Yeah, I've always wanted that. Um, Not contained even to the YA genre because um, I read an article about Tad Williams's new book, so probably he's on my mind. But if anybody's read his uh, Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn trilogy, I loved it. But there is a bit that looking back at it as an adult now, where the the main character and his like the the, his romantic lead, the girl, there is a conflict in their relationship where in order to scare him off, she confesses to him that she's not a virgin because she had willing consensual sex with a man, and he runs out into the rain in anguish and doesn't talk to her for the next half of the book. Thank fucking God for marrying Matthew and Downton Abbey. Because <laughs> when Mary tells Matthew, I had this useful indiscretion, and oh, also he died in my bed. Matthew's like, I need a minute. 
but you don't have anything for me to forgive you for because you didn't do anything wrong. So, <sighs> yeah. So, Alina, now that we've beaten that subject to, <laughs> to death. death. <laughs> Had to be done. Had to be done. Had to be done. Absolutely. Um, what techie thing do you have to shill for us this week? Uh, this is brought to you by uh, my husband's um, continuously dying computer. Uh, if you uh, a good way to back up your bookmarks in our modern day and age, now that Delicious and all those other uh, online ones are almost dead, if you use Firefox and I also believe Google Chrome, do look into their sync settings because this is an easy and very f- quick way to restore your bookmarks if you have a fresh install that doesn't require cloud-based storage, doesn't require exporting them. So if you already use one of those browsers but you haven't looked into that option, I and especially if you also have a smartphone or another computer or another device, um, I really recommend making yourself a sync account and you can be fairly confident that your bookmarks will be accessible even if the computer spontaneously combusts. Excellent. That's actually pretty cool. Boy, that sounded really condescending. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. I love our podcast. <laughs> Sexuality and books. Oh, and by the way, bookmark sync. <laughs> The varied interests of a nerd. The varied interests of a nerd. Okay, so this has been episode two of Angle Feeds. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed this past hour and I don't even know how many minutes. Because I haven't edited it yet. Because it's not the future yet. <laughs> if it were Looper. But then you'd have to kill yourself. Well, so wait, yeah. who gets to be Bruce Willis and who gets to be Joseph Gordon-Levitt? Awkward pause. <laughs> fight it out, fight it out. Anyway, so <laughs> this has been episode two of Anglo Fees, and we will see you, except we won't because it's the internet and we don't actually see people anymore next week, next month, later. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> you have been listening to Anglo Fees, a made of fail production.